All right, we'll go ahead. This is Romans part 35, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 17. And we'll be going back and looking a lot of the night at some uh, Old Testament verses in prophecy uh, so that we can better understand, I think it'll help us understand the context of what Paul's talking about here. Because as I said, I think a couple weeks ago, dealing with Romans 11 can be a little difficult. And so you want to get some of the base work of prophecy because Paul is dealing with Israel, right? He's still dealing with their prophetic program. Uh, many people think he transitions from dealing with prophecy to the church here in Romans 11 uh, when he starts talking about the tree and being grafted in and all that. And uh, we'll see how that just doesn't work with what we know to be true about members of the body of Christ, um, some this week and some next week. Uh, but starting in verse 13, he says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them... And with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So verse 13, he says, For I speak to you Gentiles, and we have to identify who these Gentiles are. Okay, Just because you see Gentiles does not mean he's talking about the church or the body of Christ. Um, as I said, I think last week, I believe these are Gentiles that would have been part of the remnant. People who would have believed during Jesus' earthly ministry, um, the early part of Acts, Peter's group. Again, you think about people like Cornelius, right? There was more Gentiles there in Cornelius' house. It wasn't just Cornelius. Um, there was other there, uh, other Gentiles there that believed Peter's message, right, and got salvation. Um, so the reason I believe Paul is addressing them is because they are boasting against Israel. Um, if you look at verse 18 of Romans 11 and verse 20, Paul will deal with them. He says, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Uh, verse 20, well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. So the reason he's addressing these Gentiles is because he's telling them you don't need to boast against Israel, right, against the root. Um, he says they were broken off because of unbelief, and you need to be fearful because if you lack faith, you'll also be broken off. Um, so again, you have Gentiles here in Rome that are saying we're better than Israel. Look at them. Right? They don't get the salvation, the promises. We're getting it, right? We're getting the blessings that were promised to them. So they're boasting against Israel. And Paul says, right, you need to be careful. They were broken off because of unbelief. You need to be fearful because you can also be broken off if you don't, uh, if you end up lacking faith. Uh, so again, these Gentiles, I believe, are people that would have been part of the remnant. You got to remember that Paul had never been to Rome, okay? Um, he's writing to people who knew Christ already. Um, there were people there who heard about Christ and trusted in Christ without hearing Paul's message, right? They would have heard Peter's message um, that Christ was the Messiah, and they trusted in that. Right? So Paul's writing to a mixed group, and we see this throughout the apostle, uh, the epistle. Um, Romans 2.17, he says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. So he's addressing a Jew there in Romans 2.17. And, of course, Romans 2, he's dealing with time past, Israel. And he was trying to show how all are in sin, right, whether you're a Jew or Gentile. So he's addressing a lot of different topics to different people. Um, in 2 Peter 
Peter, of course, writes to the remnant, those who had believed. And in 2 Peter 3.15, he says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, have written unto you. So Peter says that Paul had wrote something to the remnant, right? Um, so this could be what he's talking about. Here in Romans 9 through 11, Paul's addressing the remnant, right? Israel's prophetic program. Um, if you look at Romans 16, verse 3 and 7, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Well, Priscilla and Aquila were people who had already trusted in Christ before they met Paul. You can go back and say that in Acts 18. Right, he comes and meets Priscilla and Aquila, and he abides with them because they were of the same craft. Right, but they end up helping Paul in his ministry. Um, if you look at verse 7, he says, Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. So these, again, were people who were in Christ before Paul. And we've dealt with that in the past, how you could be in Christ under the prophetic program, right, if you were part of that remnant. Um, so again, he's writing to people who would have known Christ right before him. They didn't necessarily hear about Christ from Paul, right? He had never been to Rome. So you got to remember he's addressing a mixed crowd. And you see that in Romans 11. Um, in verse uh, 20, he says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. So he says, this group over here was broken off. Um, and thou standest by uh, faith. So you can see he's addressing two different groups, right? They didn't get it. They were broken off because of unbelief. And thou, so he's Dylan talking about these different things to different groups. So here he says, I speak to you Gentiles. So he's addressing the Gentiles here. Um, he says, I magnify my office. He says, I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. So again, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. So he's going to use that to address these Gentiles, right? I am the apostle to the Gentiles. So I'm going to speak to you Gentiles who are part of the remnant. Um, he says, I magnify mine office. Uh, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. So the reason he's magnifying his office to the Gentiles is to provoke Israel to jealousy so that maybe he could save some, so that some might would be saved. Um, again, he says this is the same reason that salvation had went to these Gentiles as part of the remnant. Um, in verse uh, 12, or verse 11, sorry. He says, I say then, had they stumbled that they should fall, God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. And that's where most people stop in that verse. But the reason is to provoke them to jealousy. Who's the them? It's unbelieving Israel. So Paul's saying the reason you got salvation is to provoke these unbelieving Jews to jealousy so that they'll get back in the program. Right? So that's what he's dealing with here. And so he says, I magnify my office to the Gentiles for the same reason. To provoke unbelieving Israel to jealousy in the hopes that they would get saved. Um, so that's what he's saying there. In verse 14 or 15, he says, For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Uh, the casting away, they were cast away because of unbelief. And he says, uh, Their casting away was for the reconciling of the world. Again, Gentiles were part of that remnant. If you go to Acts 11, verse 18, this is after Peter had went and preached to Cornelius. He comes back to the Jews in Jerusalem, and they ask him, why did you go to this uncircumcised Gentile? And he explains to them about the vision that he saw, 
uh, he went and preached to these Gentiles and they believed. And in verse 18, it says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then have God also to the Gentiles granted repentance and life. So apparently the Jews here are like, well, I guess Gentiles can get in the kingdom too, right? He's granted them repentance unto life. Uh, although it's interesting, as you continue to read in verse 19, it says, Now they which are scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So it's not like they kept, oh, Gentiles can get it too. Let's go preach to all the Gentiles. No, they still go to Jews only, which is interesting. But they realize, well, I guess Gentiles can get in the kingdom too if they believe. I guess God has granted them repentance unto life. So again, you had Gentiles. It wasn't just one, Cornelius. We always say, right, Peter went to Cornelius. But when you read the story, there was other Gentiles with him that also believed. Um, so that could be this group that Paul's addressing here. Right. After that, they go to Jews only, so it's not like they were going to a bunch of Gentiles. So it's probably just a few Gentiles that were part of that remnant. But those could be the ones boasting against unbelieving Israel, and that could be who Paul is addressing in Rome. Uh, we just don't know who these Gentiles are. Uh, he says, what shall their seed of them be but life from the dead? And, of course, this is a reference to the resurrection at the end when Christ comes back to set up his kingdom. Uh, if you look at Hebrews eleven thirty-five, dealing with people in the Old Testament who had faith, uh, it says, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. So he says there's people in the Old Testament who were tortured but didn't accept deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. That would be the resurrection in the end. Uh, John 5, 26 through 29. Jesus taught resurrection. He says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so that he given to the Son to have life in himself, and have given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So again, in Israel's program, those who keep the law and abide in the covenant are the ones who get resurrection unto life, and those who do evil your resurrection unto damnation, eternal damnation. So again, you have to have the good works, which is what Paul dealt with in uh, Romans 2. Right? Those who had good works, whether you're a Gentile, receive life everlasting. Um, so that's what it's referring to here, right? The reconciling of or receiving of Israel, if the casting away was salvation to these Gentiles, the receiving of them would be life from the dead. Right? Resurrection, eternal life. Um, so in this whole passage, Paul keeps dealing with the receiving of Israel in their fullness is better than the reconciling the world now, right? Because you're going to have blessings and all that, resurrection from the dead. Um, so he continually goes back to the receiving of them is better than their casting away. So you don't need to boast against them. Uh, verse 16, he says, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. Um, so who is the first fruit and the root in this verse? Uh, you kind of have two options either the patriarchs of Israel or the remnant. Um, of course, the patriarchs were that first fruit, right? God separated them to start his purpose. The patriarchs is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, they would be that root of Israel, right? So they would fit here. Um, if What he's saying is if they are holy, then the nation will be 
holy, right? Um, it could also be this remnant, the believing remnant. If you go to James 1.18, of course, James writing to the remnant, says, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So James writing to this remnant, he says we were firstfruits of his creatures, talking about these firstfruits of those in the kingdom. And you think about when God comes back, right, to reap his harvest, that's when the rest of Israel that's believing will get the blessing as well. But those uh, in Jerusalem who had believed would have been the firstfruits of that. Um, Revelation 14, 3 through 4, it says, And they sung out, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. And again, that hundred and forty-four is an important number because if you divide it by twelve, it's twelve thousand. It would be twelve thousand. Well, how many tribes are there? Twelve. So you would have twelve thousand of each tribe to get to one hundred forty-four thousand. He says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. So it refers to these 144,000 Jews as firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. So again, it could have been these people, initial people, who believed that Christ was Messiah, right? This initial remnant um, could be those firstfruits. So you kind of have two options there. Is it the remnant or is it talking about the patriarchs being the firstfruits? Um, but the point of this is that if this root is holy, then the lump will also be holy. The branches will be holy. Um, he's referring to Israel restored. He's teaching that the fact that Israel should uh, one day be restored will one day be restored in belief. And that's what he concludes in verse 26. He says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Okay, so he's teaching that Israel's cast away now, but it's not forever. Right? The root's holy, the lump will also be holy. The branches will all be, also be holy. Um, and this lump deals with... Uh, Israel's ball, where they had to give heave offerings. Right? They had to give a cake unto God as an offering before they could eat the whole lump. Same with their, uh, the produce, the fruits. They had to give the first fruits to God, and then the rest would be holy. Right? They could receive it. They could harvest it. Um, Numbers 15, 20, uh, 19 through 21 says, Then it shall be that when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall offer up an heave offering unto the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough for an heave offering. As you do the heave offering of the threshing floor, so shall you heave it. Of the first of your dough you shall give unto the Lord an heave offering in your generations. So they have to give the first of their dough unto the Lord. Uh, Leviticus 19, uh, Leviticus 27, 30. says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. So again, you had that tithe aspect. They had to give a tenth of their fruit to the Lord. Right? That tithe. That first fruits. Uh, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Proverbs is a book to Israel. And there's many good spiritual lessons you can learn from Proverbs. But it deals with Israel's covenant. There's a lot of verses that you can apply to you, such as these. 
It says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So apparently if you give God the first fruits of thy increase, he's going to bless you and your barns will fill up. Well, we can't apply this to us today, right? Many people try to, but it doesn't work. Um, but Israel, if they gave that tithe, that first fruits, they would be blessed. Okay, so Paul here is dealing with first fruits, which is in Israel's program, right? They would have understand what he's talking about when he deals with first fruits. Um, so the first fruits here would have been either that remnant or the patriarchs, and then the rest is holy. Talking about the rest of Israel would be holy in the end, right? They will get their kingdom is what he's dealing with here. Um, again, that word holy, uh, in verse 16, he says, For if the first roots be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And when you look at the word holy, you don't ever really see Paul deal with the church as holy. And when you do, we're holy in Christ. Right? He has set us apart in him. Whereas Israel, you have a holy land, you have um, a holy temple, you have a lot of things in Israel that are dealt with as holy things. So if you go to 1 Peter 2, 5-9, it talks about the lump being holy, the branches being holy. Peter tells them in 1 Peter 2, 5-9, and 9, he says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, as peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter refers to that remnant as a holy nation, right? You're a holy priesthood. Um, Revelation 21.2, the kingdom that comes down, says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you have this holy city coming down to an holy nation. Okay, so that kind of fits with Paul talking about this lump being holy. Right? He's talking about that holy nation that will get the kingdom there. Um, again, because the root is holy. Um, I would tend to lean to this root and the first fruits being the patriarchs. Because you think about it, God set apart this nation of Israel for a purpose. He set apart Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, made them holy. Right, so the lump will also be holy and get those promises, that kingdom. Okay? So that's what I would make this first fruits of this root, being that promises first given to the patriarchs. Um, so they were holy. The lump will also be holy is what Paul is saying here. They will get their kingdom. Um, verse 17, he says, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Um, so this is where we'll spend most of the night dealing with this tree. Okay, again, people read this verse and they say, well, this broken off branches is Israel. They're broken off. God set them aside and he's grafted in the Gentiles. And now we have the church today, the body of Christ. Um, again, people that make this the church probably don't know prophecy because when you go back and read the Old Testament, it deals a lot with trees and you can understand it deals a lot with the olive tree. Okay, well, the church is in the Old Testament, so who's the olive trees in the Old Testament? Okay, so we're going to go back and look at a lot, a lot of things in the Old Testament to understand what this tree is um, to better get the context. Um, the only time Paul talks about a tree is in Romans 11, okay? Other than two times when he references the cross as a tree. Okay, he talks about how Christ was hanged on a tree. Um, Galatians 3.13, he says, Curse is every man hanged on a tree. And he's quoting from the Old Testament there. 
refers to the cross as a tree. Okay, but when he talks about this tree and branches being cut off and grafted in, you only see it in Romans 11. No else would he refer to the church as a tree or Gentiles being grafted into a tree. Okay, so I think that's important because what have we been dealing with for the last two chapters? The nation of Israel and their prophetic program. So now he's talking about a tree. Well, we're going to go back and look at prophecy to see all the times it talks about a tree and represents a tree. Um, trees in the Old Testament represent a righteous man uh, that's planted by the rivers of water, right, and flourishes. Well, again, Old Covenant, if you do the law and keep the law, you're blessed, right? Um, Psalms 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So again, the man that delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth good fruit, his leaf doesn't wither, and everything it does prospers. Okay, so it's a fruitful tree because it delights in the law of the Lord. It keeps the law, right? Um, so you see that reference to a tree there. Uh, Psalms 52. This is a psalm of David. He says, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. Thy tongue deviseth mischief like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness, Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of living, Selah. So you had this wicked person, and here in verse 5 it says, he's going to pluck you out, he's going to root thee out. So it's digging up this plant, right, this wicked plant. He says, the righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man that may not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened him himself in his wickedness. So the man that's plucked up, that's digged up, is the one that doesn't trust in the Lord, right? That strengthens himself in wickedness. He says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. So David refers to himself as a green olive tree because he trusts in the Lord. What does Paul write about? And dealing with Israel's prophetic program and this good olive tree, those who trusted in the Messiah, right? He's dealing with the remnant there. Um, it seems to make sense that that's what he would be dealing with. Um, Psalm 92, verse 12 through 15. It says, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. To show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So the righteous flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Right? Those who, again, trust in the Lord are like a tree that flourishes. Well, the believing remnant are those that are flourishing. Right? It's the unbelieving that get cut off. Um, so again, that would line up with what the Old Testament teaches is about those who trust in the law, right? those who trust in God. Those are the ones that are like a tree that flourishes. Um, you also have in the Old Testament trees representing kings and their dominion. Um, if you look at Ezekiel 31, 
It says, And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom art thou like in thy greatness. Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadowing shroud, and of a high stature, and his top was among the thick bows. The waters made him great, and deep set him up on high with her rivers, running around about his plants, and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field, and his bows were multiplied, and his branches became long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nest in his bows, and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young, and under his shadow dwelt a great nations. Thus was, the, thus was he fair in his greatness, in the length of his branches, for his root was by great waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his bows, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches. Nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. And as you keep on reading, it's describing the Assyrian as this great tree, but it gets cut down. And at the end, it says, uh, This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, saith the Lord God. So basically, this is a prophecy against Pharaoh saying, You're going to get cut down. Your kingdom's going to get cut down. But he uses the Assyrian kingdom as an example of what he's going to do to Pharaoh. The Assyrian kingdom was this big kingdom, great kingdom, and it represents that as a tree, right? A tall tree that outgrew all the other trees, and its branches expanded further than the other trees. They could not hide this tree. So it's uh, making a reference to this kingdom, this dominion of this king, the Assyrians, as a tree, right? A flourishing tree that gets cut down. Um, same thing in Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar, in his kingdom, his dominion, is referred to as a tree, Daniel four ten through twenty seven says, "Thus were the visions of mine head in thy bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in bows thereof, and all the flesh was fed of it." I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Who down the tree? And cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's for man's, and let a beast heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matters by the decree of the watchers, and demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent, that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the beast of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare this interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that this great tree flourishes, right? And it's shadows, the beasts and all come up under its shadows. It's this really big tree. But then the Holy One comes down and says, who down the tree, but leave the stump. So this tree's cut down, but the stump is left. Um, if you keep reading, uh, he says in verse 20, The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached into the heaven, and the sight thereof tall the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. So there it tells you, 
this tree represents King Nebuchadnezzar in his dominion. It says, And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one come down from heaven, and saying, Who the tree down, and destroy it, yet lead the stump of the roots thereof in the earth. Even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with dew of heaven, let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass, pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my lord, the king, that, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they command it to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be at lengthening of thy tranquility. So he gives the interpretation that your kingdom is going to be taken from you, Nebuchadnezzar. But the reason the stump's there is to let you know that your kingdom will be restored to you when you realize that God is overall, and he gives rule on earth to whom he wants. Uh, and as you keep reading this chapter, you see that fulfilled in Nebuchadnezzar. You remember where people talk about he was as the cows, cattle in the field, eating the grass and all that? Well, that's what this is. The stream is about. It's about that uh, instance with Nebuchadnezzar. But again, the purpose of this is to show this tree represents King Nebuchadnezzar and his dominion. So again, in the Old Testament, we see a tree representing a righteous man, and he flourishes like a tree. Tree represents a king and his dominion. Um, again, trying to get the context of Romans chapter 11. Um, olive trees. So in Romans 11, he deals with olive trees. And it's interesting that you have a olive tree, a good olive tree, and then a wild olive tree. Well, they're both olive trees. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, but olive trees are important to Israel's religion. You go to Leviticus 24, 1 through 8. Says the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamps to burn continually. So in the temple they had this candle that had to burn continually. And God says, Command the children of Israel to bring thee pure olive oil, beaten for the light, to cause the lamps to burn continually. So they had to bring olive oil to keep this light burning uh, always. He says, Without the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron order it from evening unto the morning, before the Lord continually, it shall be a statute forever in your generations. He shall order the lamps upon the pure candlestick before the Lord continually. So you have this candlestick that's supposed to burn continually, and he says it will be a statute forever in your generations. Speaking to this covenant that will be forever with the nation of Israel. Right? Their light will forever burn. Okay, They will get that promise in the end. Uh, but it's interesting, they have to bring olive oil to keep the lights burning. Um, if you go to 1 Kings 6, 23, this chapter is a chapter of Solomon building the temple. In verse 23 it says, And within the oracle he made two cherubims of olive tree, each ten cubits high. So he makes these two cherubims in this oracle, and in this oracle is where they place the Ark of the Covenant. But he makes these two cherubims, big cherubims, out of olive tree, out of olive wood. If you jump down to verse 31, 
it says, and for the entering of the oracle, he made doors of olive tree. The lintel and side posts were a fifth part of the wall. The two doors also were of olive tree. He carved upon them carvings of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers and overlaid them with gold and spread gold upon the cherubims and upon the palm trees. So also made he for the door of the temple post of olive tree a fourth part of the wall. So apparently in this oracle, you have these two cherubims made of olive tree wood. And to get into this oracle, you have to pass through these two doors, which are also made of olive tree wood. You guys think it's interesting, the olive tree in uh, the nation of Israel. You had to have the oil from the olive. And then also to get to the Ark of the Covenant, you had to pass through uh, these olive tree doors. Um, also in the Old Testament, you have Israel referred to as a tree or a vine. Um, Psalms 80, 8 through 19. It says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. So this vine is a representation of Israel being brought out of Egypt. It says, Thou preparest room before it, and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. So this vine that he took out of Egypt has taken deep root and filled the land. Uh, the hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the bows thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent out her branches unto the sea, and her branches unto the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that they all... So that all they which pass by the way do pluck her. The boar of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. In turn we beseech thee, O God of hosts, look down from heaven, and behold, and visit this vine, and the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thyself. So we will not go back from thee, quickening us. Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. So this refers to Israel as a vine, and it's talking about judgment on Israel, and how this vine has been uh, cut down. The branches have been cut down and burned. Right, It's being destroyed. Um, so again, you read in Romans 11, branches being cut off of the tree. Well, it's not the first time that's happened to Israel. So again, you go back and read the Old Testament, you can understand some of these things. Uh, but here it refers to Israel as a vine being planted. Um, if you go to Isaiah 5, verse 1 through 7, it says, Now will I sing to my beloved, to my well beloved, a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well beloved have a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor dig, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. So this is a kind of like a parable, talking about God planting this vineyard, and he hedges it about, right? He does everything he can to take care of it but it still brings forth wild grapes. These wild grapes represent wickedness. Right, so Israel is bringing forth wickedness, and he says, well, what should I do to my vineyard? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to hedge it down. I'm going to cut it down. Friars and thorns are going to come up in it. 
Oh, so that's judgment, again, on uh, unfaithful Israel. If you look at verse 24, it says, Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, and despiseth the word of the Holy One of Israel. So again, this is referring to judgment upon Israel, because they uh, cast away the law of the Lord. Right? They weren't faithful to it. Uh, but you see this judgment of this vine. You go to Hosea 14. says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord, saying to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so will we render the calves of our lips. Asher, Asher shall not save us, we will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are our gods, for indeed the fatherless findeth mercy. I will hear their backsliding, I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as a dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. So this is a prophecy about God restoring Israel. And you see that the roots grow uh, as the lilies at Lebanon. And it talks about his branches spreading as the beauty of an olive tree. So again, when Israel is restored, you have it referenced here as the beauty of an olive tree flourishing. Um, so again, interesting, you have, again, Israel referred to as an olive tree when it's restored in its fullness. Um, so again, Israel's referred to as a vine or an olive tree in the Old Testament. Uh, the unrighteous are cut down and burned. So we saw that in Isaiah 5. If you go to Isaiah 10, uh, actually, let's just go to Jeremiah 11 for sake of time. Jeremiah 11. Verse 16 and 17. It says, The Lord called thy name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. For the Lord of hosts that planted thee have pronounced evil against thee for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense unto Baal. So this is very, very similar to Romans 11, where it says, The Lord has called thee a green olive tree, right? Fair, of goodly fruit. But he says, I've kindled a fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. Because, again, they had offered uh, incense to Baal, right? They had went after false idols. So you're referring to Israel as this green olive tree with branches being cut off as judgment, which is what Paul is talking about in Romans 11. Um, Matthew 3, 7 through 10. So even in Jesus' earthly ministry, John the Baptist comes preaching uh, the repentance of sins uh, in the wilderness. And in verse 7 it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generations of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And think not to say within ourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able with these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also is the, the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, bring, therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. So again, he's telling these Pharisees, these Sadducees, that they have to bring forth good fruit or they're going to be cut down and thrown in the fire. So again, talking about these trees as people in Israel 
being cut down if they don't bring forth good fruits. Um, it's also interesting, the two prophets that come in Revelation to witness, be witnesses for God are referred to as two olive trees. Um, if you look at Zechariah 2, Verse 2 through 4, it says, Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof. Uh, I don't think that's the right verse. Might be Zechariah Zechariah 4, verse 2 through 4. Verse 1, it says, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Drop down to verse 11, it says, Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So these olive trees represent two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. If you go to Revelation 11, verse 3 through 4, it says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. It says these are the two olive trees that stand before the God of the earth. Again, interesting, olive trees referred to as individuals as a part of the prophetic uh, purpose when these two witnesses prophesy for God in the tribulation. And who goes through the tribulation? Not the church, but uh, Israel, the remnant. So again, I thought that was interesting. Um... The root is Israel's kingdom, uh, their promises, in Romans 11. Uh, the root represents Israel, their kingdom, their promises. The branches are the nation in their fullness. Look at Isaiah 60. It says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Uh, so if you go down to verse 21, this is talking about when Israel has their kingdom. It says, Thy people also shall be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. So it refers to them as the branch of his planting. Again, God started this nation of Israel, right? He planted it, and he refers to uh, the remnant, those who get the kingdom, as the branch of this planting. Okay, so it's representing Israel in their fullness when they get the kingdom as the branches of this tree. Again, this tree is the nation of Israel. 
uh, the thing that God started and planted. For like Isaiah 61, verse 3, it says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So again, refer to them as trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. So again, interesting, Israel referred to as trees, as a branch uh, that God has planted. Um, in Romans 11, many people, again, that make this a church, make the tree Jesus Christ. Right, and they say Israel's cut off from him, and the Gentiles are grafted into him. Okay, but in the Old Testament, Jesus is referred to as a branch of Israel. Okay, he's not referred to as the tree. The tree represents Israel's kingdom, their promises, and Jesus is a branch in that king. Right, he's the branch that rules in the kingdom. Um, Jeremiah twenty three five. says, In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is the name whereby he shall be called, uh, the Lord our righteousness. That's verse 6. Verse 5, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So it says, I will raise unto David a righteous branch. What's significant about David? What was David's promise? He was promised to sit on the throne of the kingdom forever. And what's raised up unto David, this branch, right, that sits on that throne forever. So Jesus is referred to as the branch. Uh, Jeremiah thirty-three fifteen, another place. It says, In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. So again, this branch of righteousness that grows up unto David is uh, Jesus Christ, being of the seed of David. Zechariah also speaks of this branch of David, in Zechariah 3, 8, it says, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. So here he's just referred to, referred to as the branch. In my Bible, the word branch is uh, all capitalized, since it's a reference to Jesus Christ. Uh, Zechariah six twelve it says, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place and shall build the temple of the Lord. So there again, a reference to Jesus Christ as the branch. So he isn't referred to as the tree, but the branch. He's a branch in Israel, right? Because he comes at the seat of David. David was promised the kingdom to sit on the king, uh, the throne forever. And Jesus fulfills that prophecy by being the king of Israel. He is the branch, uh, part of this tree, which is the nation of Israel. So you just thought that was interesting. I wouldn't make the tree Jesus Christ. He's a branch in this tree. This tree represents Israel. Um, so again, in prophecy, you see olive tree, trees, all throughout prophecy. Israel referred to as a tree, right, as an olive tree. David says, I am a green olive tree because I trust in the Lord. Right, he's a flourishing olive tree. That's what he uh, references himself to. Uh, so once you go back and understand some of this in the Old Testament, you come to Romans 11, uh, verse 17, and it says, some of the branches being broken off. Okay, so who are these branches that are broken off of this tree? Uh, this would be those in Israel that were blinded, those who did not bear fruit, which is what he says in verse 7. Uh, what then? Israel have not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So he doesn't say all the branches were broken off, some of the branches. 
So you still have some visual, right, that did believe that are still part of this truth, this kingdom, the promises. Um, so the branches that are broken off is unbelieving Israel. He says, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them. Um, so thou being a wild olive tree, who is the wild olive tree? Again, I would say it's Gentiles. I think you could possibly also make it the sinners in Israel, right, the lowly. Um, Matthew 9, 9 through 13, because they weren't looked at as God's people, right? The Pharisees looked down on the lowly in Israel. Um, Romans 9, 9 through 13, says, And as Jesus passed forth from the thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eat if your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So again, Jesus comes to these sinners, these publicans, and they're going to get the promises by faith, right? Because they trust him as Messiah. Uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14. It says, And he spake this parable unto the, a certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Uh, so again, this publican, right, he says, Lord, I'm a sinner. He wouldn't even look up. This Pharisee says, I'm glad I'm not like the sinner, right? I give my tithes and all this. Well, who goes justify? The publican here, not the Pharisee. Um, if you look at Luke 7, 1 through 9, we don't have to go there. We read it many times, but that's the story of the centurion Gentile who God says, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel, right? And gives this Gentile satyrian the blessing. So again, this is a Gentile that got blessing, got what Israel was promised during Jesus' earthly ministry. So again, it's interesting. You have these sinners, these publicans, Gentiles even, that get the blessings, the miracles from Jesus. And the Pharisees, right, the leaders in Israel, the religious, don't get it. So who's the branches that are cut off? It's, again, those religious people, Israel, that didn't believe, that stumbled at the stumbling stone. Who are those that are grafted in? Well, it's Gentiles, but I think you can also make it the center of the publicans, those who were looked down in Israel, who weren't. Pharisees probably told them, you're not going to get the kingdom, right? You're a sinner. You're a publican. But they're the ones that, by faith, are going to get it, right? Um, so again, out of this tree, some are cut off, but some still remain. And then you have uh, some from a wild olive tree being grafted in, Okay. Um, again, you can make those Gentiles. Um, those who trusted in riches were cut off of the olive tree. Um, go to Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Again, a lot of the rich in Israel who kept the law, even they earned status in Israel and gained wealth by that. And many of them trusted in that. 
uh, Proverbs eleven twenty eight. It says, "He that trusteth, trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch." So those who trust in Israel fall, but the righteous flourish as a branch. So again, you have the righteous flourishing as a branch. Okay, again, a reference to branches and trees. Um, in Luke eighteen nine through fourteen, I have to turn there, but that's the story of the young ruler that comes to Jesus and he says, "Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" He says, keep the law, right? Honor thy father, thy mother. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. He says, I've kept all these. Um, he says, well, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and follow me. And he couldn't do that because he had riches, right? He was trusting in his riches and the status that he had gained. He was keeping the law, but he didn't get eternal life because he would not follow Christ, right? He couldn't sell all that he has. First uh, Peter one eighteen, he says, don't you know that you weren't redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold? Right? So you're not redeemed by your riches. Right? You're redeemed by the blood of Christ. Um, so those who trusted in their riches would have been cut off of this olive tree right? because they didn't believe in Christ. Um, verse 17, he says, With them thou partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So these who are grafted in are partakers of Israel's promises and kingdom. Um, part of the covenant blessings, which means it cannot be you. Okay, nowhere does the church partake of the fatness of Israel's kingdom and promises, right? Um, but these here that are grafted in, they do. They partake of the tree's uh, fatness. Uh, the reason there's fatness is because it's an olive tree, right? And olives produce olive oil, which is fat. Um, but that's a reference to, I believe, Israel's covenant blessings, right? Their promises that they were given. These Gentiles get that. Um, also, these wild branches are grafted into an existing tree. So you have this tree that exists, and its roots grow into the earth. Well, where does the body of Christ have its dwelling? In heavenly places, not the earth. So you have a tree that its roots are growing into the earth. Um, and then you have branches grafted into this tree. Well, nowhere does the church, again, get Israel's blessings. We don't get grafted into their promises, their covenant blessings. Right? We have position in heavenly places. We have a position in Jesus Christ and his body. Uh, the church is referred to as a new creature. Second Corinthians five seventeen: Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become. Uh, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Right? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's not just a reference to an individual being a new person in Christ. It's a reference to the body of Christ. You're part of this new creature. The old things have passed away. Right? Things are new now. Okay? In this body of Christ, in this dispensation. Uh, Galatians six fifteen talks about how. Neither Jew nor Gentile matters, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but the new creature. Right? There's no Jew or Gentile in the body of Christ. What matters is that you're a part of that body of Christ, not whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Okay, but it refers to the church as a new creature, a new thing. So again, we can't be grafted to an old thing. We are a new thing, right? a new creature. Um, nowhere is the church today referred to as a tree. The church is referred to as the body of Christ. Okay? Um, every member one of another, you don't graft in body members and you don't cut off body members, okay? You cut off branches and you can graft them in, but you wouldn't do that to your body. Right? Well, I don't like this finger. I'm going to cut it off and I'm going to see if I can put a new one on. Right? When you cut your finger off, you try to save that finger right? and <laughs> screw it back on or sew it back on. Right? You're not trying to cut it off to get a new one. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 27 deals with this. The body of Christ. Uh, 
It says, For as the body is one and have many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So again, we're all members one of another. Uh, we're all one body. And of course, this goes now talking about how uh, the ear shall say, because I am not the, the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Right? It talks about every member has its part and its purpose. Um, and at the end, verse 27, it says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So again, your bodies, you're a part of the body of Christ. You're a member of this body. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 28 through 32. It says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth, hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For you are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So here it says we are a member of his body, flesh of his flesh, bones of his bones. Um, he says this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Right? We are one flesh with Christ. Okay? He's not going to cut off his finger. Right? If Christ cuts off his hand, his body member, he's cutting off part of himself. Okay? So Christ cannot be that tree because when he cuts off the branches, he's cutting off part of himself. Right? So you can't make the tree the body of Christ. It doesn't fit right? because those are members of the body of Christ. And your bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, Christ is not going to cut off part of himself. You don't find that teaching when referred to the body of Christ. Uh, so we'll stop there. Uh, any thoughts or questions on this? Let's say going back to prophecy, all throughout Israel's prophetic program, you see talk of trees and olive trees and branches being cut off, vines being cut, trees being cut down. Right? Nowhere do you see the body of Christ. Paul talking anything about a tree other than Romans 11. Uh, every other time you refer to the church, right? It's a body of Christ. We're members of one body. We're one flesh with Christ. So any thoughts or questions?